Let's read together the Word of God from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 20. We'll read that, and then we'll read questions and answers 78 and 79 of the Heidelberg Catechism. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take Eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. 1 Corinthians 11 is one of the passages that's used as proof for the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 29. Do then the bread and wine become the very body and blood of Christ? Not at all. But as the water in baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, neither is the washing away of sin itself being only the sign and confirmation thereof appointed of God, 
So the bread in the Lord's Supper is not changed into the very body of Christ, though agreeably to the nature and properties of sacraments, it is called the body of Christ Jesus. Why then doth Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood? And Paul, the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Christ speaks thus not without great reason, namely, not only thereby to teach us that as bread and wine support this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink whereby our souls are fed to eternal life. But more especially by these visible signs and pledges to assure us that we are as really partakers of his true body and blood by the operation of the Holy Ghost as we receive by the mouths of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of him. And that all his sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had in our own persons suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. I want to begin this morning by telling you a little story that I hope will drive home to you and help you remember the point of this Lord's Day, which is also the point of this morning's sermon. Many years ago, I was part of a minister's group that included a couple of Presbyterian ministers and one Lutheran minister. And we were discussing the differences between the Lutheran view of the Lord's Supper and the Reformed or Presbyterian view of the Lord's Supper. And the Lutheran minister, as we discussed that, said to us the problem with the Reformed view of the Lord's Supper is that you do not believe in the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And it was almost as though it had been planned ahead of time. It wasn't. But the two Presbyterian ministers and I jumped to our feet and said together, but we do believe in the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And 
that's the main emphasis of this Lord's Day and the main point of this morning's sermon, the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Going to to talk a little bit about what that means. As you've noticed when we read question and answer 78, it does not mean that the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ so that he's present in that way, but he is present, really present in the Lord's Supper. And then I'm going to talk, too, about how he's present. If the bread and wine are not changed into the body and blood of Christ, then that leaves us with the question, how is he present? And finally, I want to show you how important that teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism is, that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper whenever it's administered in his church. So what does it mean that Christ is really present in the Lord's Supper. Well, it means that believers receive, when the Lord's Supper is administered, believers receive not just the bread and wine, but receive Christ himself. It means that they not only eat the bread and drink the wine, but that they eat Christ and drink Christ. So that just as that bread and wine are in them, so also Christ is in them through the Lord's Supper. And it means that just as bread and wine are used by God to feed us, nourish us, to refresh us, so believers are spiritually in their souls and spirits, strengthened, nourished, refreshed by Christ in the Lord's Supper. You could say that there are for believers two things going on. The sacrament itself with its bread and wine They're eating and drinking, but another 
eating and drinking as well, through which, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, the, we receive his sufferings and obedience, and they are as certainly ours as if we had in our own persons suffered and made satisfaction for our sins to God. That's the, in a few words, the real presence of Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism has already taught that back in question and answer 75. And it's explaining why we have the Lord's Supper. It's more than just remembering Christ's suffering and death. We can do that at home. Without the Lord's Supper. But in question and answer 75, the end of that answer, the catechism says that his blood was shed for me, as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup communicated to me, and further, that he feeds and nourishes my soul, feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood as assuredly, as really, as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. As really, as I eat that bread, as really, as that bread and wine are in me after I've eaten them, so really do I eat and drink Christ, and so really is he in me through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And then the Catechism says that again in question and answer 79. About halfway through, more, more especially by these visible signs and pledges, he assures us that we are and there's the word I've been using, we are as really partakers of his true body and blood by the operation of the Holy Ghost as we receive by the mouths of our bodies these holy signs in remembrance of him. And that all his sufferings and obedience are as certainly ours as if we had in our own person suffered and made satisfaction for our sins to God. As really. And that, I might add, is the purpose of the sacrament. It's 
It's difficult, isn't it? To get your mind around the truth that our souls need food and drink, nourishment, as well as our bodies. We don't feel that need in the same way that we feel hunger and thirst. It's difficult for us to get our minds around the fact that somehow Christ, Christ himself, Christ crucified, is the nourishment that our souls need. It's hard to understand, isn't it, that somehow, we'll talk about that how in just a moment, but somehow we actually receive Christ through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper so that He is in us, in our souls, as the food and nourishment of our souls, as really as the bread and wine are chewed and swallowed and are in our stomachs. It's not easy to understand that, is it? And it's one of the reasons it's not so easy to understand is that it's all invisible. It's not all of that isn't something you can touch. You don't feel it as you feel hunger and thirst, although there's a spiritual hunger and thirst that we do feel. And so it doesn't seem very real to us, all of that. And God gives us the sacrament, the bread and wine, broken, poured out, eaten and drunk, to say to us, as really as this, So really is there another eating and drinking, another food which your souls need, and I supply it in Christ himself. That's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It strengthens our faith in that way, and is what we call a means of grace. As really. I've said that the Heidelberg Catechism emphasizes that, so does the Confession of Faith. In Article 35, If you want to read that, that's on pages 51 through 53. It's quite a long article in the back of the Psalter. And I'm not going to read all of it 
this morning. Talks first of all about the fact, just mentioned that, that believers have two kinds of life in them. The life of the body and the life of the soul. Goes on to speak of the fact that because believers have two kinds of life in them, God has provided two kinds of food, provides two kinds of food for them. He gives us ordinary bread for the support of our bodies. But there's another bread. The confession calls it uh, a spiritual or living bread that he gives us for our souls, for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have. He hath sent a living bread which descended from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life of believers. And then notice this. Nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life of believers when they eat him. That is to say, when they apply and receive him by faith in the Spirit. And then... After further explanation of what the confession of faith is saying, it makes this statement. Sounds like Roman Catholicism or Lutheranism to some when they read it. Makes this statement, in the meantime we err not when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body and the proper blood of Christ. It's not just a figure of speech. In other words, when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that's what the confession is saying. What is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body, not just bread and wine, but the proper and natural body and the proper blood of Christ. That's the creeds, but that's the Word of God as well. In 1 Corinthians 11, 10 and 11, talking about the Lord's Supper, The Apostle Paul calls the Lord's Supper the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Think about that. Communion. You have communion with someone. You share. Share your life. Share your thoughts. Share your time with them. So when Paul calls the Lord's Supper the communion of the body and blood of Christ, he's talking not just about the fact that we share Christ with one another, but talking about the fact that we share in his body and share in his blood.
And he says some things in chapter 11 as well. That's, uh, that was chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. In chapter 11, speaking again of the Lord's Supper, he says, verse 27, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You're not just guilty of a piece of bread and wine, but you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord if you eat unworthily. It's there, you see. And then in verse, verses 28, and 29, he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Possible to partake of the Lord's supper and never see that Christ is there. You don't discern his body. So scripture too says that. And of course you have the words of Jesus himself in John 6. Those amazing words that so puzzled the people to whom he was speaking. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then, because we've kind of missed the point, as the people to whom Jesus was speaking missed it, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. So scripture as well as the creeds teach that truth that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. How? How? Well, catechism says not the way the Roman Catholics or Lutherans teach. The bread isn't actually changed into the body of Christ so that though it tastes like bread, you're really chewing on a piece of his body? Though the wine tastes like wine, you're nevertheless drinking the actual blood of Christ. Not that way. If it was that way, then everybody who received the bread and wine would be getting Christ, wouldn't they? 
no matter who you are. You'd be receiving Christ automatically because the bread and wine have been changed into his body and blood, or as the Lutherans say, are there with the bread and wine. Can't be that way. Because if that were true, then when you broke the bread, you'd be repeating Christ's sacrifice. And when you poured out the wine, you'd be repeating his sacrifice. And the Roman Catholic Church actually teaches that. Heidelberg Catechism in the next Lord's Day has some very, very sharp things to say about that teaching. Can't be that way because then you'd have to worship the bread and wine. And that, as the Heidelberg Catechism says in that next Lord's Day, would be idolatry. So not that way. But how? Do you know? You know the difference? You know what you believe? When you come to the Lord's Supper? Well, there's another word. We've used that word really. The other word is the word spiritually. That's how. But that's where that word real is so important because spiritual things don't always seem very real to us. Not as real as this. I can touch this. I can see it. But I can't see spiritual things. I can't touch them with my hands. I can't taste with my mouth anyway. I can't taste spiritual bread and spiritual wine. But it's real. You should know that. That just because things are spiritual doesn't mean they're somehow less real than this. Angels are spiritual. You can't see them. They're here. But they're real. And so is the devil, by the way. And he's here, too. Doing everything he can to make sure that your worship of God here is spoiled. So it needs to be emphasized that though our eating and drinking, though the, that spiritual bread, Christ Jesus himself, can't be seen, can't be tasted with the mouth, it's real. In fact, in some ways, it's more real than, than this. You should know that, too. That you need that spiritual bread more than you need your daily food and drink. 
Your soul needs to be fed. And that's way, way, way more important than having your body fed and nourished. You know that. And so there is that spiritual bread, which is Christ Jesus himself. And a spiritual eating and drinking of that bread. That means through the work of the Holy Spirit and by my spirit. My spirit eats. My spirit drinks. My spirit receives, or my soul, if you will, that spiritual meat and drink. Christ Jesus himself. The only food of the soul. Christ Jesus is the bread that we understand from John 6. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, set by God himself for the nourishment and health and well-being and life of your souls. What's the eating and drinking? If it's not by the mouth, with the teeth, the swallowing and chewing, what's that? You know? It's faith. Faith eats Christ. Faith drinks Christ. Or, if that sounds better to you, faith receives Christ. So that through faith, Christ becomes in my soul that living bread without which my soul would perish forever. I read from the Confession of Faith. It says that, Article 35, But the manner of our partaking of the same, that spiritual bread, is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. Thus, then, think about how wonderful that is. Thus, then, though Christ always sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven, yet doth he not therefore cease to make us partakers of himself by faith. And then the the same article goes on to call faith. And that should help even you children understand what I'm talking about. It calls faith the hand and the mouth of the soul. As really, as I receive in my mouth, therefore, 
the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Take it and eat it. So really does faith take Christ and receive him with all his sweetness, no food so sweet as Christ and is nourished by Christ and grows in Christ, grows and increases in him till we come, as Paul says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ himself. Spiritually. Really? But spiritually. Not by the mouth of the body. But by the hand and mouth of the soul. Which is faith. Now. When you young people. When you get to the point that you understand that. then it's time for you to consider making confession of faith and coming to the Lord's table. It's that understanding that's crucial to being a proper partaker of the table of the Lord. If you followed what I've said this morning, understand what the creeds say. Understand what Jesus is talking about in John 6 and what the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. Then, it's time to think about coming to the Lord's table in the way of making confession of faith. Sometimes ask that question, when? When should I make confession of faith? That's the answer. But it's that understanding too that's the reason why the Bible calls us to self-examination. Self-examination is really about making sure First by seeing my need for Christ. Then by understanding that he's the food and life of my soul. Self-examination is the way in which we come. Not just to this table. But to Christ himself. And receive him. As that true heavenly bread which God himself and his mercy provides for the life of our souls. That's the reason. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 11. That's the reason why an unbeliever Roman Catholic Church is wrong. Not everybody receives Christ. But that's the reason why an unbeliever, even though he may eat the bread and drink the wine, 
doesn't receive Christ. His soul doesn't have a hand. His soul doesn't have a mouth. How can he receive Christ? But that's the reason, too, why even though he can't receive Christ, he's guilty before God because Christ is there. Really, there in the Lord's Supper, as 1 Corinthians 11 said, he doesn't discern Christ's body, and so he becomes guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's the reason. And that's the reason, too, why, why the sacrament is a means of grace. There isn't any grace, ever any grace, except in Christ Jesus. And it's through that, through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, that I receive the grace of my Savior, the grace that strengthens my faith, that assures me as difficult as it is for me to understand that, assures me that is really, as the bread and wine are in me through eating and drinking, so really is Christ in me through faith. So that I can say what, what Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I live, nevertheless not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hardly have to say that, but that's the blessedness of the Lord's Supper too. Christ is there. And by the way, he's not there only as the broken bread and shed and poured out wine that are the food of our souls. But he's there as the one who gives us that bread and wine, who feeds our souls unto life eternal. He's the one, if I may put it that way, who by his Spirit carries us to heaven, to that other spiritual feast where our souls find in him all things necessary for salvation. And our faith in him is strengthened and held up as it needs to be. That's what this Lord's Day is talking about. Lord's Day 29. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is emphasizing. I've received of the Lord himself 
Paul says, that which I now deliver unto you. That's what Jesus was saying at the Lord's, at the Last Supper with his disciples. This is my body, which is broken for you. And my blood, which was shed for you, blood of the everlasting covenant. That's what he was talking about in John 6. And I, I leave you with those words too this morning. But that's what he was talking about when he said, and what a word that is for us. Labor not for the meat that perishes, but for that bread which came down from heaven. Meat that endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. I don't know when you have the Lord's Supper next. But that's what you need to remember. God grant it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for that true heavenly bread, Christ Jesus Himself. Our souls, Father, we know that cannot live without Him. Feed us in the preaching of the Word and in the sacraments with that heavenly bread. And forgive us when we come carelessly and thoughtlessly to the Lord's table, not discerning the Lord's body. Forgive us all our sins, the sins of this worship service also, for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen.